All right. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead and open them up to Luke chapter 6. Uh, Luke 6. In fact, we're, we're coming to the end of uh, this proclaimed series. Uh, we will uh, spend the month of July doing a couple things, and then I, I don't think we'll come back to the Gospel of Luke uh, until September, possibly October. Um, and so, uh, but, but I promise you what we have to share on Sundays will be, uh, will be hopefully good, or at least it'll be something, right? Uh, and so, uh, but, but Luke chapter 6. So for, for about a month now, we've been paying attention to a, a specific set of verses found in the Gospel of Luke where uh, Jesus is teaching both uh, his disciples and then this, this great multitude of people uh, who arrived to hear him, uh, but also to be healed of, of their diseases. And, and where Luke will give one verse to the healing nature of Jesus, uh, he will give the remainder of the chapter uh, to the teaching of Jesus. And this is uh, by no means a comprehensive um, set of, of teachings from this great moral teacher, but it does kind of give us a glimpse uh, into his heart uh, into the Father's desire, and then really how we should be living as believers of the gospel. Uh, because what, what Jesus teaches here, uh, and we've been saying this for a few weeks now, it runs counter to what much of what the world believes. Uh, for instance, uh, Jesus will come in and he will say uh, that, that you can be, uh, you can actually be happy in the midst of poverty and hunger. Uh, you can, you can, he'll, he'll say, you can and you should love your enemies uh, because it's this reflection that you are not your own. He says, if you were going to follow me, uh, you serve as a reflection of who I am. And so, so you can and you should uh, not just tolerate your enemies, but you should love them and you should pray for them and you should bless them and you should give to them and and then as, as Swine taught last week, uh, we, we must be aware of uh, really just, just judgments that we carry and, and condemnations that, that we give others. That, that not that we would not hold each other accountable because there's a biblical uh, uh, command to hold one another accountable inside the church, uh, but, that, but rather that we would be the kind of people who would help others find relief and, and find health because God has removed, uh, as, as Jesus would say, the log that is in our eyes, and, and we really have no desire to put a plank back in, right? Once, once that gets removed, we don't want to say, hey, give me another one to put in my eye because, because the principle is that the blind can't lead the blind. And so, so those who have been given sight uh, serve to serve those and to help those who are walking in in darkness, who are blinded by by the darkness, and so so we get to see clearly. And now uh, we we want to walk through this together. And I think I really probably should have said this a couple of weeks ago, but but I think if you follow with us here at Merge enough, you you understand this that that our desire here is is that you would see and you would know Jesus for who He really is. Uh, that that when it comes to the words coming from His mouth. What we see are, are basically two options. We either walk in obedience or we walk in rejection. 
So when he says something, we have to ask ourselves, am I going to obey that or am I going to re- reject that? And, and now the challenge with the gospel is this isn't a la carte, right? It, it really is. It's, it's one or the other, that this response must be determined uh, by each one of us. So, so regardless of the fact that we live in the Bible Belt and regardless of of how spiritual your grandparents may have been or, or how many years you've, you've grown up in church, that, uh, that, that if we're not careful, we can fall into this trap of, of buying a knockoff Jesus. Uh, and, and I think uh, what Jesus has been telling us for these past couple weeks are, are as we apply these teachings, they are ways that we can uh, verify the authenticity of our faith. Are we actually following him or not? And... Uh, and so, so Swine carried us all the way through uh, verse 45 last week. And, and what I wanted to do is I want us to start at, at verse 43. Uh, not because he didn't do a good job of that, but because that helps us understand the structure of, of what uh, Jesus is, is doing here. Now remember, he's teaching, uh, as he's teaching, this is basically a sermon. Uh, and so, um, in fact, you can see a fuller treatment of these, these lessons in uh, Matthew chapters 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Um, but, but I think it's helpful once we get to verse 43 to kind of think of this as, um, as the beginning of a wrap-up. Uh, and so here in a couple of minutes, uh, I'll say, hey, Swan, let's start wrapping this up. Not yet. That was just a test. Um, but, but then, so, so that's basically what we get when we get to verse 43. Jesus starts to wrap up these thoughts, and, and he puts some, some two very practical applications to what he's been teaching. And, and from there until really verse 49, he, he says two things. Uh, and the first thing he says to do is that when you look at your life, he says to, number one, inspect the fruit. Uh, inspect the fruit. He's, he's putting things together and he says there's a difference in knowing and doing. Uh, and Jesus says the evidence will reveal itself in the fruit of our lives. So we start at verse 43. He says, he says, For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. And verse 44 could just kind of pin us to a wall if we allow it. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a, a bramble bush, right? And everybody's like, oh yeah, those bramble bushes, they can't produce grapes. Verse 45, the good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. And then he says something important, because he gives us a place to look. He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there's, a, there's another place in the Gospels where Jesus would say, uh, you know, what, what goes into the mouth goes through the stomach, out the body. But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And so, so we as believers and even we as unbelievers constantly search our hearts because what is in the heart comes out of the mouth. So, so when you say things that come out of your mouth and you're like, what in the world was that? It's coming from somewhere. And it's not coming from the circumstances of your life necessarily as it's coming in into what you're feeding your soul. And so, so the fruit that Jesus looks for is, is evidence of, of, of a lot of different areas we can go. Um, primarily, we can go Galatians chapter 5, when, when Jesus talks about the fruit 
of the Spirit, when he talks about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, how, how those things are evident of the movement of God in your life. We can talk about uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, where it talks about how our lives are, are this story of continually offering praise to God that acknowledges His name. We can talk about uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 22, as it says, you know, uh, as you live your life, you live it in a holy manner. We can talk about Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, that says, the talks about good works coming out of us and and encourages a role uh, in changing other people's lives as charged in in Romans chapter 1 verse 13. And now now what's important to note about the fruit that Jesus is talking about is that it's the result of of transformation not religion. You with? It's the result of transformation not religion which reveals the right kind of of fruit because we don't we don't create fruit. We, we don't make it grow. God does that. And the more we spend time with him, the more we reflect his son, which means the more of his fruit comes out of our lives. And so, so the fruit is simply this, this byproduct of authentic living. That, that's what it is. This draws our attention uh, to, to verse 46 as Jesus continues to drive this point home. So he says, he says first thing you do is, is inspect the fruit that's coming out of your lives, which I think we could spend probably we could just stop right now, right? And I could get Chris to come up and play something really nice and soft, and we could turn the lights down, and and you could just ask God, hey, what what kind of fruit is my life bearing? And I'd encourage you to do that. Um, but Jesus continues, and he tells us at, in verse forty six to check. Your foundation. That's what he does. So so let's go. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I, I will show you what he is like. Okay? He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Verse 49, but the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. And you want to know what happens next? It's the end of the sermon. <laughs> There's no wrap-up. He just leaves you right there on that. And the ruin of that house was great. Now, now as, we, as we talk about this, uh, this principle of, of checking your foundation, I think it's, it's so easy to blow right past a verse here and move to the more recognized word picture of, of what Jesus is given. Because Luke, Luke gives us in a sentence, what, what Matthew basically gives us in three, uh, three verses, uh, but what I find in Luke is, I find Luke to be the more penetrating verse. So, so let's, let's not be chicken, right? Uh, let's slow down, let's do a little bit of work, because Jesus is asking many of us the question found in verse 46 right now. 
And he's asking us this question in this very moment. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? So, so if, if, we are, if we are followers of Jesus, uh, and now I, this, this might sound foreign to you, but I think it's foreign. If, if it does sound foreign to you, it's because we like to use this as a crutch so that we can't be held accountable to the Word of God. But, but, but if you are a follower of Jesus, then obedience is a prerequisite uh, for taking right steps in God's direction. Right? It, makes the, it just makes sense, right? That if we're going to follow Jesus, that we would do the things that He calls us to do. That we would abstain from the things that He tells us to abstain from. Not in, not in a religious way, but again, out of a response of a life that's been rescued and redeemed and restored by the goodness of God. So, so it's hypocritical to, to call ourselves Christians while, while walking at times in willful disobedience. And now, now, now worse than that, what we find is that our disobedience actually proves that we do not, in fact, love Him. And you say, well, how can you say that? And I say, I don't say that. Jesus says this. And you say, prove it. And I'll say, glad you asked. John 14 and 15, right? We can just, you could spend, you could spend months in John 14 and 15. But he says these things. He says in John 14, uh, verse 15, in fact, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It'll say in verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Then we can go to chapter 15, verse 10, where it says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. And then we can go to verse 14. It says, You are my friend. Man, you want to talk about Jesus making things so simple that you're like, I'd rather not read that so, I'm not, I, so I don't have to apply it. He says, if, if You are my friends if you do what I command you. If you do it. If you do what I say, you are my friends. And, and now this should not really come as a shock to you, but, but, but obedience to Jesus' teaching is an essential requirement of Christian discipline. And Christian discipleship, I should say. That, that our, obedi- our obedience does not earn God's forgiveness or acceptance. No one will obey their way into heaven. God, God saves us by grace alone, through faith alone, but... But saving faith, and this is the argument that James will make in his gospel, I mean in his uh, epistle, um, that saving faith is never alone. It, it's accompanied by an obedience that comes from faith. Uh, in fact, uh, as a result of response of a heart that's been changed and is grateful for the change. It says, I, I, I long to please you in the way that I live. Not because you will love me more, but because I'm just so thankful for the life that you've given me and the chance that you've given me and your restoration in me. And, and so, so obedience isn't, isn't reluctant because what it does is it, it sees the greater reward in Jesus and it says he's more than enough. He's more than enough. And so, so forgiveness and, and acceptance come only by God's grace through faith in Jesus. But if our faith is true, then our obedience must be real must be. So, so he is our Lord, and so he commands 
our lives. And I get that runs up against almost everything the world says, especially in our Western culture. So, 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 but, but our faith, if our faith is true, then our obedience must be real. He is our Lord, and so He commands our lives, and in our obedience, we demonstrate our love for Him. We, we prove ourselves to be His friends with Him, and His love, and the Father's love rests on us, and to call Him Lord, and to not do what He says, makes that word meaningless. So, Let's make this very practical this morning. Okay? And right where your talk notes was, there should have been a note card and a pen. I gave everybody a pen today um, so that you're like, well, I don't have a pen, so I can't do this. All right? So let, let's, let's do this little exercise. Okay? On, on the left side of your card, okay, I want you to write a word. Okay? Two letters. N-O. No. Okay? All right, now, now on the right side of that card, same side, I'd like you to write four letters. L-O-R-D, Lord. Okay, so Troy, just to make sure you understand, it should read on your card, no Lord. Okay? So we're trying to apply. We're trying to say, okay, what does Jesus mean when he says in verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? And we say, Man, that sounds really confusing. What's the implication here? And it's simply this. If we are following Jesus, those two words can't stand side by side. They can't. They don't. In fact, if there is any area of your life that you say no to Jesus, then you must cross out Lord. Because He's not. He's a consultant. He's um, a teacher. He's a suggestion maker. But if there's an area of your life that, that you look at Jesus and you say, no, then you can't let him be the Lord of your life. You can't do it. Now, now on the other side, um, if the, the only way to serve Jesus is that it's acceptable it's to submit his word in your life and so so if if there are um, if you can if you do call him Lord then you must forever cross out the word no to anything that he says and now this is I think again I get you because I get me this is why it's this is why we have such a weird interaction with the Bible at times because there are verses and there are teachings that Hit us against the wall, and we're like, I don't like that. That makes me very uncomfortable. So maybe if I don't read my Bible, then I don't have to know about those things. So the only way we serve Jesus as Lord uh, that's acceptable is that we would submit to His Word in every area of our lives. And so, so just let's just take these past couple weeks as we talk about judgment and enemies and, and poverty and hardship that the only way that we can walk with Him is, is obeying and submitting to His Word. So, so obedience becomes a foundation for times of, of trial and times of storm. And this is, this is what He explains in, in verse 47. He says, Everyone who comes to Me and hears My words and does them, okay, I will show you what He's like. 
He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. Now, now here's what I want us to do, and this is, this is very simplistic, okay? But, but I want us to note two different things. The first thing I want us to note is, is what do both builders have in common, okay? So the first thing they both have in common is that they're both building, right? They both build houses. The second thing is that they both hear Jesus' teaching. And then thirdly, they both have the same set of circumstances. Okay? You with here? They both have the same set of, of circumstances. So really what this does for me is it takes away any expectation of a life with Jesus that's void of, of difficult seasons. Uh, but both of these men would have what would be considered good days and bad days. And, and so, so the fact that one hears Jesus and lays a foundation on the rock does not exempt him from the floodwaters. But, but the word of Jesus is that those floodwaters, when they come, will not shake a house that is well built. So this becomes apparent when we consider the differences between the two, right? Because you have one guy, uh, as we talk about the differences, uh, it's just simply the foundation of the house. Like, the way, the way Jesus describes it, uh, you have a guy like me who doesn't know anything about building, and he's like, I think that's a pretty good spot to build a house. I'm just going to start putting up walls. And then you have this other guy who actually knows something about something, and he says, in order for my walls to stand, I need to make sure I have a firm foundation. Because the foundation is the key to the rest of the building. You get the foundation wrong, the rest of the house collapses. So there are a few words that Jesus uses here to help us better understand what it looks like when we build our lives on the foundation that he provides rather than just simply building our lives on the foundation of, of our own well wishes or our own good intentions. That, that the, and, and really the, the bulk of this surrounds these two words, that, that there is a man who dug deep and he found rock. That's what he did. He dug deep. Now, to dig deep, it, it takes two things. Right? It takes time and it takes effort. Now, now, uh, granted, those are two things our culture has very little allowance for. We want quick and we want easy, and that's in part why Jesus will tell us to count the cost of following him. Right? You get that? Like Jesus doesn't kind of walk into town and say, hey, I, I want these um, very surface-level relationships with you people, and so, so we're going to do this. I'm going to ask you to close, everybody, close your eyes, bow your head, and just raise your hand if you want to be my friend. He doesn't do that. He, he walks in, he says, he says, count the cost. Understand what I am calling out of your life. Understand the obedience and, and the willfulness to, to lay your life down for the sake of my name. So he says, this guy... Who, who lives in this house that he dug deep and he built his house on a foundation, on the rock, so that when it all breaks out, his house doesn't shake because it is well built. 
built. And so it takes time and it takes effort. And, and, and so, so there are things that we can know and see, but, but faith allows those things to solidify. And it gives us an ability to build a life worth building. I think this is why the psalmist says in, in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And then, then he adds this, this, he is like a tree that is planted by streams of water and that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Then he says, the wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. And what Jesus teaches here is, is the same principle, that it takes time for our foundation to develop in order to hold the weight of the house. But if that foundation is not set, the whole house is affected. And so Jesus says, everyone who hears and does, they take the same steps of digging deep and making sure the foundation is built on the rock. And, and now I wrote down here, do, do you see the gift? I think, I think all of the Bible is a gift to us. But do you see the gift that Jesus has given us here? He's helping us understand how to stand when life gets hard and painful and what to do when the streams break and the water comes rushing against us. Because isn't, aren't those the moments that we are most tempted to bail on Jesus? Aren't, aren't those our chiefest complaints against God? Like rarely when life is, is good and, and all the lights are green and, and the, the sailing is smooth, are we like, God, what are you doing in my life? No. But when all hell seems to break loose, those are the moments where, like, hey, do you even know that I exist? Do you know that I'm here? And Jesus says, when, when you build your life on the foundation of the gospel, when those waters come, you don't have to worry because the house ain't falling apart. So he says, there is a way to live that does not result in utter ruin. That com and that comes from hearing my voice, following me, applying my teaching, and as a result the difference that I make in your life becomes evident not just to you, but to others. And what, what dawns on me is, is that there are, there are some here, okay, and we don't hold judgment, we don't hold condemnation, but, but I, again, I think it's really helpful to know where you are so you can figure out how to get to where you want to go. But there are some here who have built their house on a foundation that, that looks a lot like the rock, but it's actually just compressed sand, and, and that what, what happens is, is you've been fortunate at times because the waters that have come, they, they've knocked down one wall of your house. <laughs> and with some effort, you were able to repair it, but, but that's not going to last very long. It won't. In fact, uh, I implore you to, to pay attention to what Jesus has been teaching us these past few weeks because he's showing us a way towards a firm foundation and it runs counter again to what the world promotes. And so, so, so if there has not been a, a, a core or a root foundational change in your life after coming to Jesus, 
then I think some sober evaluation is needed. Because again, both guys, okay? As Jesus talks about both of them, both guys live in the same neighborhood. They do. In fact, both could, could wave at each other from their porches and, and you would not necessarily know the difference in the construction until the waters began rushing in. So Jesus is showing us not just how to survive, but to thrive in these moments. And then secondly, what he's doing, because again, the gospel is, is, is we take it in because we are always poured out. So when when your neighbor's house is collapsing, you can say, hey, let me show you how I built my house on a firm foundation. Let me show you how you can build your house on a firm foundation. So as a wrap up, let me... me. Jesus asked you a question in verse 46 that I, I can't get away from. I can't. Because he looks at me and I'm exposed. And now the beauty of God's love for me is that he exposes me because he wants me to walk in health and he wants me to walk in life. And it's a sobering question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Now that double phrase, I should have said this a second ago. So that double phrase, anytime you get words like, like Lord, Lord, in the Bible, it, it indicates intimacy. It indicates a relationship that's established and it's experienced. And, and so we're not, we're not talking about walking in perfection today, but, but we are talking about walking in holiness. So that there are times, I, don't, I, I hope that I'm not the only one in this room, because maybe somebody else should start teaching, but, but there are times when I know what Jesus wants me to do and I struggle with doing those things. And I think verse 46 is given to us to help us not lie to ourselves. Because if we, if we don't lie to ourselves, then it's harder to lie to Jesus. Right? And so this is what Jesus has been doing these, these past four weeks. He, we've, we've really tried to ask this question along the way each time, that, that with such differing views, the world and Jesus's, one of them has to be right and one of them has to be wrong. And so make, make no mistake, they are differing views, not, but they're not competing for which one is more right. That, that they, they may be competing in your heart on which you would prefer, but, but, but the one... But there is one that is most right. And Jesus says that the way of the world is to build a house on the ground and his way is to build it on a foundation. So I guess the question is, do you, do you know that? Do you? Do you, do you know Jesus? Do, do you, not a plastic version of him, but, but the solid and the life-giving and the breathtaking and the death and the resurrection and, and the one, the Lord and the Savior where you can find peace and joy and purpose. Because you're building your house on something. You are. And the call of the gospel is that, the re- that your life would be built 
on, on this simple phrase. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life in Jesus. Then the following verse, that God didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through his son. Now, I love, I love our vantage point of the Gospels because Jesus just stops talking, or at least, or at least Luke just stopped writing. As we transition into chapter 7, and I think we're going to Capernaum next. But we get to live in this vantage point of, of not only does Jesus say this, but he models this. And not only does he model this, but he does it in perfection so that when he lays his life down as a ransom for us, we don't have to wonder where our foundation comes from. We get to live in this, this space where we're just a breath in his presence is sufficient for a lifetime. And so if, if, if you know Jesus, then I, I pray these words would serve as a gentle reminder or, or correction uh, when the world wants to offer you empty promises. And then if you don't, then I encourage you to walk with us as we walk with him. Because we believe that his invitation just to follow is, is enough. That eventually you follow him long enough, you fall in love with him. And that you would know this, that, that he never, he, he just, he never disappoints. In any capacity, he's more than enough. So our desire this week is to love God by, we wrap up, let me make a couple things available to us. You've never asked Jesus into your heart. We, did, why wait? We believe the only way to have life with God is through Him, and and we want to to answer your questions. And but more than that, we we long to pray with you as you as you a understand your need for Jesus, b that you would um, believe that He is the Son of God, and then c that you would just confess your sins, that you'd walk in repentance, or maybe you just need prayer this morning. We want to pray with you. We all have things going on. We believe the beauty of the body is that we're not doing those things on our own. We believe there's power in prayer. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you. We thank you that you love us in Jesus. We thank you that you care for us in Jesus. We thank you that, that you've gifted us with his words. So that we're not left wondering what you want from us. Father, I pray we would spend some time with you in verse 46. That you would bring to mind places where we are not willing to follow Jesus fully. Father, we pray that as the streams break and the waters rise, that since we have built our life on you, we would know that we cannot be shaken. Father, you are good.
your mercies endure forever. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's a new